Zinia, Zinia. Sometimes that's meant in a bad way. Sometimes it's meant in a good way. And so today I'm going to share about what's in you, Zinia. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for this word. And we pray today, God, that this word uh, would, um, would instruct us. It would encourage us. It would uh, correct us. And it would also lead us, Lord, in the path of everlasting. God, thank you for those that's here today. We pray that the Spirit of God would fall upon all of us today, fresh and new in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. What, look at somebody who said, you know what's in you is in you. What's in you is in you. How many has heard that word before? What's in you is in you, and that's it. You know, basically, what they're saying is it's in your DNA. You know, it's, it's part of your character, whatever's in your heart. And so... Um, I'm going to be going through uh, a lot through the, through the book of Acts uh, because I believe it's, it's, um, it shows a lot what the early church looks like. And in fact, here's some trivia for you, uh, for maybe a Bible scholar or somebody like that in here, I don't know, but um, where, where at in the Bible were they first called Christians? I don't know if anybody knows that or not. Where at in the Bible... Were they first called Christians? It was actually on our test, Jake. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it was on our test for Church of God when we got our license and stuff like that. But where were they first called Christians? Does anybody know? It was in Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 4 to be exact, okay? I'm sorry, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. They were first called Christians in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It was a city called Antioch, all right? And so that's what they were first called Christians, all right? And so uh, today I want to talk to you about what was inside of the early church or what was inside of the early Christian, okay? And, and, and I want us to, to think about, like, what, that, what the early Christians looked like, okay? Because before Jesus, um, what, were, what were Christians called before Jesus was here? Is God people, right? Those who fear the Lord, those are God followers, okay? And so, in fact, there was also another thing they call them the way of, of the way. Uh, but they were first called Christians after Christ left the earth, all right? And so, um, today I want to talk about that. Let's look at what the church looked like back then. There was boldness. How many know they were boldness? They walked in the power and the presence of God. There was a boldness inside of the early Christian. There was something, it, it wasn't. It was an arrogance. It was a boldness inside of them. Uh, they were relentless in their pursuit of God and to follow the assignment that was upon their life. And guess where? Even unto death. If you, if you read uh, some, uh, some stories of what the early church, early Christians went through, how they were dipped in oil, how, uh, how they were crucified upside down, how they were exiled on islands, and how they were, you know, even go further than that, I watched a movie called Tortured for Christ, and there were people that really, that really was not afraid to die for the cause of Christ. And um, they, they went through a lot of struggle, and there was a lot of sacrifice in the early church. Today we get a toe ache and we can't make it to the house of God. I was watching this movie and this man was literally being beaten, beaten by a rod on the bottom of his feet. You talk about, you talk about persecution. You know, we get a little bit of persecution online and we want to go ahead and give up or we get a little persecution. Somebody, you know, is looking at me weird or whatever. And all of a sudden we want to give up on Christ. These people were hung upside down, sawed in half, heads cut off. Somebody say, praise the Lord, 
right? We get to sit down in pretty blue chairs and nice, you see the vacuum lines in the rug? Beautiful, right? We just had the rug, rug washed and purified and sanctified and all the other stuff, right? And so it's like here they, they were just happy just to gather together in homes. In fact, they went from house to house. And they listened to the apostles' teachings, and they did it secretly. They did it in a way where it was outside of reach because it was illegal to serve the Lord in those days. Jesus Christ was against the law. They didn't meet occasionally. They met regularly. Everybody say regularly. They Come on. I can't hear nobody. Come on. They met regularly. Come on. They met often. They met as a church. They would meet together. It wasn't something they just did on Sundays. It was something they did Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays. They did it on a regular basis. They was constantly in prayer. They were constantly, you know, listening to the apostles' teachings. They were constantly growing as a church. And so today I want to I show you, and um, there's a brief thing in, a, in the book of Acts in chapter 4, they want to rewind. I want to show you just the boldness that they walked in and how, how this happened. And so here's Peter and John, okay? Peter and John is standing in trial. I'm in Acts chapter 4, just for a few verses, and I'm going to rewind. Here's Peter and John. They're standing in trial, and guess where they're at? They're in the same exact courtroom that, that just not long, just days before that, just maybe some weeks before that, Jesus... Christ was standing in the same courtroom and was sentenced to death. He was, they was sentenced there to the crucifixion. And here's Peter and John, and they're standing before the same people that judged Jesus and sentenced Jesus to death. So guess what was probably on their mind? These same people, they probably want to crucify us too. And so they're standing there, they're standing there, and, and, then, they, and then the people say something, to him. They couldn't understand where they got this power from. And I want to explain to you what happened just before that. And this is what they said. They saw that they were untrained and uneducated men. Everybody say untrained and uneducated. That meant that in their eyes, they didn't have no formal, you know, Jewish uh, traditional education. They were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. In their eyes, they had no formal training. They couldn't understand the power that they possessed. They couldn't understand the boldness that they had, Peter and John. Because just before they were thrown in prison, Peter stood up and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. Then on this situation right here, 5,000 people got saved. And so they couldn't understand, they couldn't understand their boldness. They couldn't understand their power. And now there's a man that was lame from his mother's womb standing next to them. So let's rewind. I want to explain to you what was happening and how they ended up in this court. One day, Jesus, one day, Peter and John, they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. I'm in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Do me a favor. From now on, when you come to church, um, I, I want to encourage everyone to bring with you a notepad. Bring a notepad. Bring a pen. Okay. Write down things. You know, no, and write in your Bible. Underline stuff. You know, bring a notepad with you. That way, you can kind of, kind of follow along. And maybe if there's, if there's something good that you like, maybe you want to write it down at the same time. All right. By the way, this is being recorded on podcast that we can go ahead and rewind and listen to it at a later time. 
So here's Peter and John. They're on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. Not the hour of sacrifice, but the hour of prayer. That's important to know because they no longer was worried about sacrifice because Jesus Christ was the last sacrifice. Amen? Right? He was the Passover lamb, so he became the lamb of sacrifice. They no longer was worried about sacrifice, but they were keeping the hour of prayer. They were men of prayer. They, they were consistent in their walk with God. They thought it was important to go to church. How many believe it's important to go to church? Shout amen. Come on. I believe everybody that's here, you believe that it's important to go to the house of God. It's important to stay in church. And so here they are, they're walking, and they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And as they approach the temple, many of you may know the story by heart, they were, they were there, they were met by a man who was lame from his mother's womb. He was carried every day and laid at the gate called Beautiful. Now, I want to explain to you what this gate looked like. Anybody ever hear this story before? The gate called Beautiful. At first, when I first read this early, early in my life, I thought the man's name was Beautiful. I did. I thought his name was Beautiful for some reason, but his name wasn't Beautiful. They didn't give him a name, but he was laid at this gate called Beautiful. This, gate, this beautiful gate at the temple was 75 foot tall, and it was brass, and so it was a beautiful gate. And so here he would, he would sit there every day. He was carried by friends or family and brought there to beg for money from everybody who entered the temple. He was helped out all of his life, always in a place called beautiful, but yet his life didn't feel so beautiful. How many ever felt like that before? You know, you're in a, you're in a place of miracles. You're, you're, you're next to a place, but your life didn't, doesn't look so beautiful. Every day people would give him temporary help, but never gave him nothing eternal. Every day people would give him a dollar. They would give him maybe some change, but they never gave him life-changing situation. You know, it's easy to throw money at, at people. Sometimes it's easy to throw money at, at things, but yet it takes a little more time to actually stop and talk to somebody. Can somebody say amen to that? He sat in this place of God, but yet never experienced the presence and the power of God. There are people that go to church on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, and they, they, have, they, they may even uh, read the Bible. They may even have you know, scriptures memorized, but never experience the presence and the power of God. And so here's this man. He was lame from his mother's womb. He sat near the place of blessing and miracles, but yet he never experienced it for himself. And so now, as he's sitting there, he's, he's begging for money. You know, this guy walks by, this other guy walks by, all these people walking by, and they're going, and I can just see them. They, they probably got, you know, the, the, their scriptures in their hands, or they're just walking to the temple prayer, and they're just trying to get into the door. And Peter and John is now there. How many has ever, how many has ever been to a, um, how many has ever been to a red light, and, the, and the, the guy that walks up next to you asking for money, you act like you was on the phone, or act like you didn't see him? Come on, don't lie to me in church. You might fall dead, okay? I'm just playing. Uh, you know, there, there are times like that, you know, where I was, just, I was just miserable. I didn't feel like helping nobody. I'm just being real. It, it, times like that happen, you know? It's like, it, it's, um, you know, and, but there are many times where I've, I've rolled down the window and given the guy money, and, and, and that happens, okay? But Peter and John, um, instead of walking by, he began to talk to them. Okay, Peter and John, they were about to go into the temple and he was about to, they were asking for money and he fixed his eyes on him with John and Peter said, look at us, look at me. And so instantly he gave them his attention expecting to receive something. So instead of walking past the man, 
They stopped and they spoke to him. I want to say that again. Instead of walking past him, just like everybody else did on that day, they stopped and they spoke to him. Very simple. Why is it that we're so fast to pass judgment on those that are hurting? Why is it that we're so fast? You know, and you know, Peter and John, they could have circled him like vultures. You know, yesterday we was on top of the roof and George noticed that there were some birds above us. Wait, right? George, you said that to me, right? Me and Max was on the uh, roof yesterday and uh, putting up uh, some Christmas lights. And um, there was some uh, big uh, evil looking birds up circling around us. George said they were waiting for us to fall off the roof and die. And so, <laughs> and so praise God, we're still alive today. And so, um, you know, they, you know, why is it that so many Christians, we, the first thing we do as soon as we see somebody lame like this, we begin to circle around them. And we're like, man, why don't you just get a job? Why don't you just get up? Why don't you just shake yourself? You've know, you got to have faith in God. You know, you gotta, where's your faith at? Where's your trust at? And, and, and the first thing that a lot, of, a lot of people in the church sometimes, you know, they, 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 we're so fast to, you know, to, to shoot our own and, and just accuse them of wrong or accuse them of sin. It's kind of like Job's friends when he come to visit them, you know, with friends like that. Who needs enemies? Can somebody say amen? You know, and here's Job's friends. You know, his his uh, he just got full of uh, you know all these boils and everything. His kids just died. His business, he lost his business. All this thing, all this, uh, all hell broke loose in his life. And his friends are going to come and begin to dissect his personal life. Well, maybe there's sin in your life, Job. Maybe you did something wrong. Did you not pay your tithes or whatever? You know, and they begin to you know dissect his life and try to figure out what he did to deserve this. But Job was a righteous man. The Bible said, and sometimes. You could be doing the right thing and still end up in a bad situation. Can somebody say amen to that? Yes, disobedience, absolutely. It leads into, unfortunately, a curse. The Bible says it in Deuteronomy chapter 18. It says obedience, blessings follow obedience, and curses follow disobedience. But sometimes you can still be obedient and follow the Lord, and how many know you'll still experience a storm? You'll still go through hard times. Are you still with me this morning? I'm still going. Give me about it, a few more minutes, and I'll... And I'll I haven't got to my text. Are you ready? So watch this. And watch. The, the lame man, he looked at him, okay? He gave them attention. Now, I want to shift my, I want to shift this around just a little bit, okay? Notice, okay, that Peter and John said, look at us. He gave them his attention. Listen to this. He gave them attention expecting to receive something. Please listen to this next statement. Expectation does not always lead to what we expect to receive. Just because we expect to receive a certain thing does not mean that we're going to receive what we're expecting. Because in that moment, this layman expected to receive what? Money. He expected to receive a donation. He expected to receive something to support him. Just because we pray a certain way or expect a certain thing to happen doesn't always mean God will answer the way, come on, help me, we expect it. Just because we pray a certain way doesn't mean that God will answer the way that we expect it to answer. Expectation just means that we're expecting something to happen. But disappointment happens when we don't get the answer as we were looking for it to happen. Does that make sense? Disappointment is real. It happens in the body of Christ. 
It happens in marriages. It happens in relationships, in friendships. When somebody lets you down, you have high expectations of them to act a certain way or to do a certain thing or to say a certain thing. And then when that person fails to do what you expected them to do, all of a sudden what happens? Disappointment sets in. But expectation is important. We need to have expectation. Expectation is the birthplace of the presence and the power of God. Expectation is the place where heaven touches earth. There are many people in the body of Christ who stop expecting things from God just because why? Because they haven't, they haven't had an answer to prayer like they've been waiting for. God hasn't been answering their prayers like they've been asking for and prescribed. And so they walk in disappointment and hurt on God because God's not answering their prayer the way they expect it. Look at somebody and say, what are you expecting? How are you expecting it? Think about this for a minute. What are you expecting in your life? Are you expecting God to move in your life? If you came here today expecting to meet with God, you're going to meet with him. Amen? Now watch this. This is what I love. This gets good here. So he looks at him expecting to receive something. Instantly, Peter says probably one of the most famous lines in all of the Bible. Does anybody know what Peter said at that moment? Silver and gold. I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. What's in you is in you. And in this moment, Peter said, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. How often is it that we throw temporary solutions at an eternal problem? How often do we, do we go ahead and put a Band-Aid on something that needs an eternal, eternal healing instead of a temporary fix? What do we have to give? God is asking us this question. What's in you? Because what's in you is in you. I can only give you what I have. If I don't have it, I can't give it to you. If I ain't got a $5 bill, I can't give you a five. I can give you a dollar. But if I, ain't got a, if I don't have it in me to give, then I can't give it to you. If I don't have faith in me, I can't give it. I can't give faith. If I don't have hope and love, if, if I'm filled with unforgiveness and hurt and pain and suffering and disappointment and unforgiveness and all this stuff is on the inside of me, then that's what's going to happen. Every time that I come into a situation that needs God to come in, then you know what? I ain't got nothing to give you, Patty, because I'm, 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 if you're here, I'm here. I can't help you. And that's why the church is so powerless today is because we refuse to walk in the power of God because all we want to do is throw a donation at it, but we never have the power of God to see life transformation. What's worse? Saying, I can't give you, I, I'm sorry, I can't help you out financially or I can't help you out spiritually and give you the power of God and allow you to experience the presence and the power of God in your life. You know, I heard this story, and there was, there was these two men of God, and they were walking through, you know, this uh, beautiful complex of their church complex. And the one man of God said to the other man of God, he says, you know, he's bragging on the beautiful temples and the structure and the artwork. And he says, look, we ain't got to say silver and gold I don't have anymore. And then the other man of God said this to him. He said, yeah, but you also can't say Rise up in the name of Jesus Christ and walk. What he was saying was, yeah, you might be financially got it going on, but you ain't got no power to tell people to get up out of the situation. Too many Christians are bankrupt when it comes down to the power of God. We think if we throw money at it, it'll fix it. 
It might make you feel good for a moment, but we're still lame. Yeah, who doesn't like a financial help? That'll help me out for the moment. But what I need is the power of God in my life. What I need is the power to transform my walk with God. Yeah, you might help me out, but I'm still lame. Yeah, you, you might, we might be able to help somebody out financially, but they're still, their, their marriage is still suffering, or they're still depressed, or they're still going through this hurt. They don't know how to get out of it. What's in you is in you. The fact is this, that we can't give them, uh, we, we, the fact is this, I don't want to give them money to just help support them. The fact is that the more important thing is the power and the presence of God that leads to transformation. I'm okay with giving money to people. That's fine. I love to help people out financially. But I would rather give them the presence and the power of God to see them walk in a life of victory. Are you still with me? What's in you? God is asking you what's in you this morning. Because we can only give someone what we have. Do we have the spirit of the living God inside of us? Are we filled with faith, hope, and love? Is that what's in you this morning? Or are we filled with self and unbelief and unforgiveness and offense? Let me ask you a question. Do we pray in tongues and cuss and accuse and gossip in English? Do we pray in tongues, but yet in another in English, we're talking a different way? And God is saying, what are you filled with? What are we filling our life with? What is in you? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if you're born again, is the same spirit that lives inside of you and I. From the, he's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that lives in us. Let's keep going. I'm almost finished. Jake, can you come and just play softly, please? He took him by the right hand. He took him by the right hand, which represents the authority of God. And immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood, and he walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Immediately, the power and the presence of God filled this man's life, and he was instantly transformed. So here's a question I ask for us today. The lives that we touch, how are they changed? Are they changed for the good or for the bad? The lives that we touch, are they impacted by the power of God? Are the lives that we touch transformed by the power and presence of God and released in faith through our lives? What lives are we touching? Talking about your wives, your husbands, your friends, your family, children, co-workers, strangers. What lives are we touching? Or are we too consumed with our own lives that we forget about anyone else that's around us? The question that God is asking us today, do we want to be a church with power? Do we want a form of godliness but lack no power? Yesterday when we was putting the Christmas lights on the church, I was standing on the roof here, uh, and I was looking at the steeple, you know, and uh, Josh said, you know, let's put some lights around the steeple. By that time, we were already kind of past it. It was kind of too late for that for a moment. And the Lord was talking to my heart up there about the steeple, the cross on it, what it represents, and the light 
the light inside is not working actually. We need to get it working again. And the reason why, you know, we chose, I wanted, I wanted to put, you know, Christmas lights around the church. First time in 13 years since we've been here. I said, I said, I'm tired of, uh, I, said, I want our church to be a light, you know. I know it's, it's just a physical thing. But sometimes, too often, we, we focus on the outward appearance of what we look like as Christians and as a church instead of inward true transformation. We can have the look of a man of God and a woman of God. But God is asking you today, do you have the power of God on the inside of you, the presence of God? I'm tired of having a form of godliness but lack the power. And as I was looking at the steeple on top of our church, I said, God, I said, I don't want us to have this form of godliness but lack power inside the church. What we've gone through this summer is no secret. It's not easy what we've gone through. Is God still God? Does he still have the power of healing? 1,000%. Absolutely. Is he a God that still delivers? Is he still a God that still saves? Yes, he is. Earlier today, we were singing a song with Maker. And sometimes I feel like we don't always believe the songs that we sing. And we're like, God, if you're a way maker, then why, why so much bad? Why so much hurt? But he is still Waymaker. He is still a healer. He is still all powerful. He is still faithful. He is still my God. In Him I will trust. The Spirit of God still lives in me. The Spirit of God still lives in you. We can still lay our hands on the sick and see them recover. Tired of having the form with no power. God wants you and I to walk as children of light in this dark world. God wants us to be the flavor of God to the earth today. He wants us to be that place where heaven touches earth. So, how do you receive this power? It's not easy, it's a place of repentance place of surrender to God. It's the way we, we receive Holy Spirit. I can't live a life of sin and expect to walk in the power of God. I want to say that again. I cannot live a life of sin, whether it's secret sin or public sin, and expect to walk in the power and the presence of God. can God would be a liar if I, would, if I could do that. I'm unable to overcome selfishness without a life of surrender to God. There's too much selfishness in the body of Christ. Why aren't you not seeing the power of God? Does the God move in your life? I always say, check your gauge. Are you self? Are you, are, how, much, how much are you giving of yourself? Let me ask you a question. Are you making Christianity all about you as to what you can get from God? What can God do for me? He can't do nothing for me, then he's not God, then I can't serve him. 
the last thing, how to allow the presence of God to work in your life, is to completely devote ourselves to God. I know these are teachings that you've heard probably over many years, but the word devotion means single-minded loyalty. That means you're not double-minded in what you believe. That means that your faith and your actions line up and they look the same. God says to stop justifying our sin because the way that we feel about a situation or the way we feel about church or God. There are many Christians that are led by their emotions instead of walking in faith and by the Spirit of God. It takes effort to crucify the flesh. You know, I had this conversation with God not too long ago. And I said, God, just give me, give me 12 hours just to let everybody know exactly what they think about me. <laughs> Has anybody ever felt that way before besides me? God, give me 12 minutes, you know? Give me just a moment to just say whatever I want to say. But you know what stops me? Holy Spirit. I don't want, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit in my life. Because sure, every one of us at one point of our life or another would love to tell somebody off or just tell everybody what we think about them because of the way they hurt or whatever. But I want the power of God in my life. You know what stops us from doing the wrong thing? Not because we have to do the right thing. Not because, not because we're afraid of getting caught. But what stops me from doing the right thing, what's, what, what stops me from doing the wrong thing is, is I want the power of God in my life. Holy Spirit. See, at one time in the church world, the only power of God in your life was, you know, all these amazing things and blessings and all this stuff. And can I say this? If that stuff does not equal, you know, the favor and the presence and the power of God in your life. You know what's amazing? You know what an amazing blessing is? Is that when your children are serving the Lord. Is that when your, your household is serving the Lord. When houses are not divided, that's the blessing of God. That's the favor of God. That's prosperity. When you're walking in faith and believing God. Whatever I feed the most will become the strongest thing in my life. Whatever I feed the most will become the strongest. So today I'm asking today, God is saying, would you surrender and devote yourself to God completely? What would, what would your life look like today if we completely devoted ourselves to the Lord? If we completely surrendered? If we repented? If we allowed the presence and the power of God to operate in our life once more? Right where you're at, we're going to pray. for a moment. Let's get God focused. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe it's been a long time since you prayed. Maybe it's been a long time since you felt the power and the presence of God. This morning, I believe the power and presence of God is going to come upon you, change you, radically transform you into another person. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, trust you today. 
than when I feel them in this place. Presence of God. First thing I want you to do is repent. God, I repent. I repent of my sin. I repent of pride. I repent of selfish motives. Today, Holy Spirit, I invite you in. Fill my life. I repent, Lord, of the secret sin that nobody sees. I repent of the, the dark corners of my mind, of my heart. I repent of those areas. And today, God, I want to serve you. I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my Savior. And I ask you, God, to change my life completely. Because the way that I've been living is not pleasing to you. I'm not walking in faith. I'm walking in fear and unbelief and worry. I'm filling my life with so much garbage. So God, release all of it out of me. I pray that you would search my heart and know me and see if there's anything in me that's not like you. Remove it, God, completely. In the name of Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Take over completely. I give you my heart today. Transform me, God, from the inside out. I pray that I would be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I trust you, God, that you're working. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, you're still working for the good. Today, Lord, I want to devote myself to you. I want to be single-minded loyal to you, God, today. No more double-mindedness. Come on, pray that over you today. Lord, I pray that I would no longer be double-minded in my prayers, that I would be no longer double-minded in my walk with you. But today, God, that I would serve you, Lord, with my whole heart. So, Father, I honor you, and I thank you, God, that you're Lord of my life. Today, I put my trust in you. I want to grow in my faith. I want to grow, God. I want the Spirit of God to grow within me. Use me, God, however you want to use me. And help me to be content in any situation that I'm in to be content. Because godliness with contentment is a great gain. God, I pray today that I would have a hunger for your word like never before. That I would stop feeding my soul with temporary things. And I would start feeding my soul with the Word of God, faith, Jesus' name. Come Holy Spirit. Refresh upon these today. The times of refreshing might come. Fill this room. Fill every heart. Would you pray that prayer right now over your life? Fill my heart, God, with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your love. I want to shake and tremble again in your presence. Fill us, God, with the fear of God. Because the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Fill us with the hunger, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we surrender to you today. Come on out just for the next moments here. Just pray. Come on, get hungry for God. Come on in your own words. Father, in Jesus' name.